Hello, listeners. A rainy good afternoon to you all. Welcome back to this week's episode of Tokyo Confidential. This is your host, Alan, and today we discuss the practice in Japan of very young school children riding busy train lines by themselves. Walking through Tokyo's cavernous Shinjuku station can be a challenge for even seasoned commuters. Countless exits, winding corridors, and the constant crush of passengers in the world's busiest train station are not for the faint of heart. Indeed, some 3.5 million passengers pass through the station each day. Yet among the clamor, one can frequently spot school children no older than five or six, sometimes alone, other times in small groups, lining up among the suit-clad businessmen and women to take the train with no adult supervision. It is a stark contrast to North American practice, where the issue of young children using public transit unattended continues to be a controversial issue. We spoke with parent Akiko Suzuki, who is well familiar with letting children take public transportation unsupervised in Japan. A Japanese teacher in Tokyo, Suzuki is the mother of two sons, ages four and seven, and the elder of the two began taking the train alone this year. A little nervous is how Suzuki described both herself and her son to me in a recent interview, although he soon became a confident rider. Getting her son to take the train alone was not simply a matter of dropping him off at the station and hoping for the best. Rather, as is common practice, Suzuki rode with her son on a few occasions before shadowing him from greater distances. When he didn't need to check back with me about anything, he finally took the train alone, recounts Suzuki. Such practice is commonplace in Japan. Indeed, a long-running hidden camera show that follows young children as they carry out simple errands around town has been a staple of Japanese TV for decades. The show, entitled My First Errand, features children as young as two or three as they complete tasks like making simple purchases from a list at the local grocery store. With a low crime rate and strong societal bonds, parents feel confident sending their children out into the community alone and are less inclined towards Western-style helicopter parenting. Indeed, Suzuki herself recalls playing unsupervised in parks near her childhood home in Tokyo when she was just four years old. Children, too, feel comfortable that they can ask for assistance if needed. As cultural anthropologist Dwayne Dixon noted in an interview with City Lab, the issue is not necessarily one of self-reliance, but of group reliance. Says Dixon, Japanese kids learn early on that, ideally, any member of the community can be called upon to serve or help others, end quote. These ideas of collective responsibility are also fostered from a young age, especially in school. Students take turns serving other students lunch each day, rather than relying on adults or teachers. Japanese students are also responsible for a daily 15-minute cleaning period at the end of each school day. As mentioned in our earlier trash can episode, the student school cleaning cultivates a sense of responsibility among students and encourages best behavior. The less mess that's made during the day, the less time that must be spent cleaning up at the end of the day. A similar cultural dynamic also exists to that of Japan's aversion to littering. In Japan, the thinking goes that I would not like to see others litter, so I myself should not. The self-reinforcing mechanism ensures that Japan's streets remain comparatively litter-free. As we will discuss in a future episode, this also applies to the high percentage of items returned to their owners through Japan's efficient lost-and-found system. In regard to young children on the trains, the thought process among adults is that they would like to see other adults help their own children, and therefore are willing to assist the children of others 
if the situation arises. It is a stark contrast to how children are treated in the West and the ongoing controversy around so-called free-range children. In Vancouver, a father of five found himself under investigation by British Columbia's Ministry of Children and Family Development. His offense? Allowing his four oldest children, ages 7 through 11, to ride the bus unsupervised. The father took pains to ensure his children were prepared for the 45-minute trans ride to their school, going along with them at the beginning to make sure that they were capable of handling the trips themselves, not unlike the common practice in Japan. As a result of the investigation, he was ultimately required to sign a safety plan agreeing not to let his children ride alone in the future. In the United States, when Queen's mother, Lenore Skenazy, allowed her nine-year-old child to ride the New York City subway alone, it became national news, covered in the New York Times, Washington Post, and other major media in 2008. Skenazy went on to found the Free Range Kids Movement and lobbies for legislation such as Utah's, quote, free-range parenting law, end quote, which provides that a parent cannot be charged with neglect if a sufficiently mature child walks to school or a park or store unattended. These contrasting approaches reflect different philosophies when, when it comes to raising children. High crime societies, or those perceived as high crime, versus those that are considered low crime. High trust societies, such as Japan, versus comparatively low trust societies in North America. Ultimately, it is a combination of factors that allow Japanese children to have a comparatively high degree of freedom in childhood. That does it for this week's episode. Stay tuned next week when we discuss what makes Japan's efficient lost and found system run so smoothly. Until then, stay safe and keep curious. 